0: and welcoming you to the Prairie Doc radio program. Rick Holm, our Prairie Doc is unable to be with us today, so I am happy to welcome Jill Cruz, a family medicine physician with the Avira Medical Group Brookings. Good morning, Dr. Cruz. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad that you're here, uh, and I often start with Dr. Holm saying how's the health of Brookings these days? What's happening in Brookings?
1: Well, school is definitely back in session and that means all those uh, school-related illnesses are back. Uh, There's been some hand, foot, and mouth going around uh, local areas and I've seen strep come back to the clinic and a lot of allergy sufferers have been coming in saying that the last few weeks have really flared up uh, what's going on. So I don't know if corn's starting to tassel or stuff's going on, what dust is in the air or what... uh, Is ragweed hitting hard? I don't know, but... uh My allergy sufferers are really uh, suffering.
0: (laughs) It's a tough go. Most people with allergies, if they are aware that they have them, have found some comfort Mm -hmm. in, uh, is it sprays for their nose, or what do you suggest? Yep,
1: Uh, a lot of nasal sprays will help. Uh, The steroid nasal sprays are now almost all over the counter, and that can be very helpful. Also, a neti pot, if you don't want anything with medication in it, that's just a a nasal uh, saline uh, where you basically rinse out all that pollen and allergens from the nose, and that can really help. Um, will help with there's allergies if you have a sinus infection it kind of flushes out that mucus and has less uh, for the bacteria and viruses to really grow in so the more you flush that junk out and and clear out the nasal passages and sinus passages the the better it is so that's a great way with no medication no side effects
0: um, just water just it's yep, saline solution, it's a saline solution. yep could you spell neti for people who aren't familiar with that
1: yep n-e-t-t-i
0: Neti pot, P-O-T. Neti pot. If you're not, if you don't understand what she means, you can go ask your pharmacist. They'll explain it to you and show you what a neti pot is. Yep. And if you're curious and want to go on the web, you can certainly see examples of neti pot. First thing I saw my son-in-law was using, I thought, what is he doing? And yeah, it looks like you're putting a little teapot to your nose. <laughs> that's just what it looks like—a teapot made just for your nose, pouring mm-hmm. water through your nose. But it really. Obviously there's no medication, so it's really safe and it's very safe, very natural, very healthy. Well that's great. Well we know what's going on in Brookings and I do know what's going on in the country. This is suicide prevention week this whole week and I know we wanted to address that this week, but I think before we do we will take our first break, and we'll also we'd be glad to answer, answer any questions you might have. As I mentioned, Dr. Holm is uh, Dr. Holm. Dr. Holm's not here. Dr. Cruz is a family medicine physician, so she can certainly respond to any questions you might have for almost any age group. You see them all, don't you? I see
1: them all from oh. the day they're born to the day they die.
0: Wow. So any questions you have of medical nature, give us a call at 692-1430, and we will be back right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We're happy to have you here today. Dr. Holm is not able to join us. I'm Joan Hogan. With me in the studio today is Dr. Jill Cruz, a family medicine physician with the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. And just before the break, I mentioned that this is not a happy topic, but one that certainly affects many people. Suicide Prevention Week is this week.
1: Yes, so definitely uh, suicide prevention is something that we need to talk about, and there's such a stigma around mental health and suicide in particular that it's not a topic many people feel comfortable bringing up or or talking about it, but it's actually the 10th leading cause of death overall, uh, with over about 45,000 deaths per year. And actually it's the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 34. So it, it is very common. Second
0: leading cause of death for 10 to 34. That mm-hmm. is scary. That is, that is very frightening. scary. frightening. Are those statistics for this country? Yep, that's yep.
1: straight from the CDC. Wow. And National Institute of Mental Health have been tracking these data. So yeah, after accidental injuries, suicide is the next cause of death for children. Young children. For younger children and teens, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. That, that is just so upsetting to know, and we probably, if you've lived long enough, you have been affected by someone close to you or related to you that may have either attempted suicide or actually been successful with suicide. Um, why do we want to talk about it? Why is it important to talk about it?
1: Well, the first way to prevent it is to actually talk about it, to ask someone if, if you're concerned about them. Um, you can't get someone help if they don't talk about it. And one of the causes of suicide, one of the risk factors, is feeling isolation and feeling alone. So you know, just by asking someone, hey, I'm concerned about you. Hey, I'm worried. Are, are you okay? Uh, you could actually change things. And I, I've talked to many patients that uh, have told me, you know, they were thinking about suicide. They They had the gun on the table or they had the pills in front of them, and then someone called them and that changed everything and stopped them from going through with their plans so talking to someone and saying i'm worried about you or i care um... can be the difference literally between life and death
0: so suicide really does not have to be inevitable for anyone no matter how poorly they're feeling something could prevent it
1: something can prevent someone or someone more likely
0: someone what are some of the risk factors then for suicide
1: so there are risk factors um... Any mental health disorder or depression can definitely have that. Um, Alcohol and substance use can be a risk factor. Uh, Physical injury, uh, if you've been in an accident or trauma, have a loss of function. Um, Any sudden changes in your life, uh, like job loss or um, financial things, uh, being imprisoned or being in jail is also a risk factor. Uh, family history. If there was a family member that had a history of depression, uh, drug addiction, or a family member that committed suicide, that puts you at higher risk. Uh, and definitely that lack of social support, isolation, l- and lack of access to health care. If you're not being treated for mental health or not talking to someone about it, that definitely puts you at much higher risk. There, there's many, many different factors that can contribute to this. Um, but those are kind of a lot of the main ones. But the main one is um, hopelessness and feeling that there's no way to get out of the, the pain you're in, either physical or emotional pain. Um, do they feel like there's literally no other way out? And that's, that's what tends to lead to the, well, is suicide my only option to end my
0: pain? and that's where intervening or talking with others would make a huge difference it would definitely um if if you are aware of someone who might just not be happy. You can tell they're not doing well. Mm -hmm. What do you suggest? You can't say, are you thinking of committing suicide? Actually, you can. You can. You can. You can say
1: that. It's a common myth that say, oh my gosh, if you say, are you thinking about committing suicide? You're going to plant this idea. And they'll say, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's a great idea. Let me go do that. No, they they won't. Um, Sometimes that will open up the conversation. And as a doctor, that was one of the hardest things for me to learn as a student to actually say, have you thought of suicide, and do you have a plan? And uh, it's have you had to do that I've with some of to your patients? Many times, many oh times, and it is a very tough conversation, and um, can take a lot of courage and, and honesty for them to break down. And you'll be surprised how open and honest people will be, and say, "You know what, I have, and thank you for asking." And and I don't know what else to do. I'm I'm so scared, and I'm so tired, and I'm so. Um, worried about what I can do you know how do I get help I don't know where to turn so ask ask them and then the next step is is keep them safe limit access to things that can cause harm Uh, with men we know that they tend to use firearms so if there's a gun in the house get it out or get the bullets out you know get get it locked away get it somewhere safe that they don't have access to the means are there Old medications that someone could overdose on. Again, get those out of the house, get them locked up, get them safe. Um, you know, know what their means are, and try to prevent them access to what they could use to hurt themselves.
0: One other thing: if someone is actually listening today and has had these thoughts. Um, and they may not have anyone to call out to. What do you suggest they do?
1: Well, there is a National Suicide Hotline. Uh, its number is 1-800-273-8255. So, 273-TALK. Uh. And that is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's it's staffed by trained professionals who can get you in touch. And there's that's the National Clearinghouse, and then they'll get you connected with someone local and someone that can get you connected to help here in the area. And a lot of times what they'll do is they'll talk with you and kind of talk through solutions and try to come up with a, a safety plan. What can we do to keep you safe now, and how can we get you the help you need? And Now.
0: Now. Right. Yep. Not right now is pretty important. If they've called that mm-hmm. National Suicide Prevention yeah. Line, they probably are considering it. Yeah. What if you're not considering suicide in You have a friend that you're concerned about. Would you be wasting the time of this helpline by calling them?
1: No, I think they could definitely get you in touch with resources. Um, They have over 2 million calls a year, and only about a quarter of those are people who are actively suicidal and have a definitive plan that they're ready to carry out that day. So they're there for help, and they're used to getting people in touch with the resources they need and helping people anytime. So use the resource. That's what they're there for.
0: Oh, this is very helpful information. And Mm -hmm. again, the reason for having National Suicide Prevention Week is simply to have more people aware of this major crisis, especially Mm -hmm. the crisis hitting our youth. The second major cause of death for 10 to 30 year old. Mm -hmm. That's overwhelming. We're due to take our break. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 692-1430. Thank you. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm happy, happy to have you listening today. I'm Joan Hogan, and with me in the studio, in Dr. Holmes' absence, is Dr. Jill Cruz, who's a family medicine physician with the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Today, we've been discussing uh, the National Suicide Prevention Week, and it is this week, September 9th to 15th, and it is uh, it is a week that we want you to be aware of because we want you to be aware of uh, the incidents of suicide. And bef- earlier, Jill had mentioned that uh, it's the second leading cause of death for children from 10 to 30. Now I know you're not a child <laughs> at 30, but you're still young. But what Jill mentioned during the break is who have the greatest incidence of suicide, what group?
1: So the highest suicide rate is actually men 75 and older. Where the highest rate of completions are women ages 45 to 65. So um, those women are more likely to complete suicide. So there's there's a difference between an attempt and a completion. So many people who attempt suicide don't actually complete the suicide they're not and are, are found they're thank unsuccessful, goodness, thankfully, and are able to be you know treated. Um, but those yeah women 45 to 65. Uh,
0: we have been successful. has been successful. What do women usually? You said men will often men use often firearms. Men use
1: firearms. Women often will use overdose or use medications or pills.
0: Okay. And what do you think is the cause for men over 75? Just lonely? I or? would say
1: loneliness would, would be the biggest thing um, because definitely being uh, isolated socially or you know being um, widowed or divorced and, and being alone, that social isolation can definitely lead to... Uh, thoughts of suicide. Plus a lot of stigma against getting help, especially for mental health. For men, you know, you're supposed to be tough and strong and men don't cry and men don't get help for depression, you know, when we think of depression the stereotype is a hysterical crying female who won't get out of bed. I mean, so they think that, oh well, my generation has has (laughs) a stiff upper lip and I'm gonna just push through this and they don't ask for help and so then they suffer in silence and to the point where they see no end to their suffering, so they take these drastic measures.
0: Okay. And if you, one of the thing that I think is um, one of the warning signs for suicide is when you know someone who's been really outgoing and all of a sudden you're not hearing from them and no one has talked to them, It what, what do you think, the withdrawal from people? Does that it, it, happen before? How does that occur?
1: It can actually happen both ways. Um, I've seen it both ways. So you can have different mood changes where, yeah, they withdraw or they start giving away their things or start making up a, a will or or um, start behaving differently. I've also seen people where all of a sudden they seem a lot happier because now they see an end to their suffering.
0: Oh. So
1: I've seen it go from, you know, extreme sadness. extreme sadness to being at peace. And I've seen it from... You know, being okay to being extremely sad, withdrawn, and and pulling away from people. So, um, there's really such a range of, of what it can be that uh, it's hard to say that this one person, uh, if you do the X, Y, and Z, you know, they're yeah. going to commit suicide. There, there's a whole um, gamut of so many different warning ways signs. Of doing so, it. Yeah. but yeah. basically, have they changed their behavior? Are are they sleeping more? Are they drinking more? Are they more angry? Are they acting out? Are they, you know, anxious? Are they driving fast or doing things reckless where, you know, they don't care if they get in a car accident? Um, Do they talk about not wanting to be a burden to someone? Are they, you know, oh, I don't want to bother you and I I don't want to um, be a burden on you financially or physically or or talking about feeling trapped or saying you know I, I just don't know how long I can go through with this that's those are all things to watch out for Or saying I I have no reason to live or I don't know why I'm You know, here, I I wish I wouldn't wake up, that sort of thing.
0: I never understood suicide. To me, it was always about the most selfish thing you could possibly do. And I had no sympathy for people who attempted suicide until a very close family member attempted. Fortunately, she was not successful. A year later, I said, what the heck were you? I was so mad and Mm -hmm. so irritated that she would even consider it. And she said, I did it out of love. I thought everyone I knew would be better off without me. I didn't do it out of selfishness. When I look back at it now, I can see that uh, of course it was the wrong thing to do and thank God I didn't succeed, but my thought was it was because I cared about people and I was dragging them down and they'd all be better off without me. That was her thought. Yeah, and that's a very, very common thought process that i've heard from suicide
1: survivors and the problem is once you are a suicide survivor there is such a stigma about it where people don't want to talk to you they don't know what to say they're worried they're you know what are we going to do to set them off again Mm -hmm. and and so again it can be very isolating and they can end up right back in that same boat so another risk factor for suicide is a prior attempt because i
0: hadn't thought of that. that could Mm -hmm. be very true that they just uh they're they're right back at it because people don't want to ask them about yep, it. Yep, and they don't yeah. know how to to how deal to with that
1: it. and how to approach it.
0: Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. it's it's a tough it, it's situation, a tough. but it hits everyone in our lifetime, and we we don't really wish it wish it wouldn't, but it does. And uh, if anyone out there is listening, again, we can re- repeat that suicide prevention number. You have it, don't yep, you? Yep, I
1: have it. One eight hundred two seven three
0: 8255. Okay. Got that. We, uh, we said we'd be glad to take calls, and we had one person who called in on a totally different topic and uh, maybe something not quite as extreme as suicide prevention, but this person has an occasional rash on her arm, and she's wondering, is it, do I go to a doctor? I don't have it all the time. It comes, it goes. What do you think could be the cause, or is it worth going to a dermatologist to find out?
1: I would say if it keeps coming and going, definitely worth it to get checked out. It could be, you know, eczema, it could be psoriasis, it could be an allergic reaction. It all kind of depends on where the rash is, where it's at, uh, what it looks like. You know, is it a weeping rash? Does it have blisters? Uh, I always tell patients I can't diagnose a rash over the phone. You just can't do that. You you can't do it. You have to see it uh, because each rash uh, can be so unique and uh, has its own characteristics uh, for the various causes. So Uh, really the best thing is to be seen and to be seen when you have it. So if you come in and say, oh, I had a rash, well, uh, I can't see it it now. Uh, That that doesn't do me as much good. But if you come in when it's active, yes, definitely we can say, okay, this is what it looks like. Or if we say, you know what, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, A lot of times dermatologists will do a biopsy of it and then look at it under the microscope, do special staining, and then we can say, okay, this is what it is. We can give it a name
0: okay you mentioned both eczema and psoriasis mm-hmm. what what are the different what are they
1: so eczema is more kind of a chronic uh, dry skin we call it the itch that rashes so it's kind of a chronic dry itchy skin that um, so if you scratch s- it, 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 it scratch becomes a rash? and then it becomes a bad ah. yep rash yeah so um, yeah, it tends to happen on uh, areas that bend so elbows knees uh, shoulders wrists um, is very common and it's one of those things that comes and goes, and uh, something that we manage a lot of times with lotions and creams and, and trying to keep that skin well hydrated. And if we that can't g- cure it, but we, we can manage cure it, it, but we can manage it. Yep, yeah, yeah. Okay. And the same thing psoriasis that's more of a, a chronic. Um, scaling disorder and there's different types of psoriasis Um, but psoriasis does put you at higher risk for uh, arthritis because it can attack joints as well as the skin and will cause these large plaques with kind of the silver scale so it'll be a large larger area than um, eczema usually eczema is more you know size of a silver dollar or smaller Um, but uh, plaque psoriasis can be you know large areas Um, And that can be pretty much anywhere in the body. That's usually uh, treated more um, with what we call biologic medications or injections that will help kind of calm down the immune system so this this reaction doesn't happen Um, and can be a lot more difficult to treat. Both are chronic, but uh, both can be managed very well. But you have to tell the difference between the two so you get on the right medication.
0: (laughs) Yes, you'd have to. You would not want the the wrong meds, and you wouldn't be helping at all. And the third thing that can be is allergies. It does If you have an allergic reaction, is it then eczema or psoriasis or something totally different? No,
1: so like what we call uh, allergic contact dermatitis is just when you react to whatever that substance is your body comes in contact to. So most common one would be like a nickel allergy. Um, and with a contact dermatitis, you just get a reaction just where that um, – allergen touched the skin so if you're allergic to your leather watch band you just get a rash right where your watch was touching it or if you're allergic to nickel it's just where the the ring was or where the buttons on the pants touched so with the contact dermatitis you just get the reaction where you were touched by that substance so poison ivy poison oak contact dermatitis you just get the rash where the the um, leaves and the oil on the leaves touched your skin it doesn't spread
0: what if you get an allergy from something you intake, food or drink? Um, Would you get a reaction? Would you get
1: um, Most of the time with food allergies, it's more uh, diarrhea, vomiting, so more internal. Um, sometimes you can get a little bit of swelling or uh, tingling around the lips, and that's a lot more serious with a food allergy. And again, I'm sure most people know about kind of the anaphylaxis allergies to like peanuts or shellfish. Um, those are true allergy emergencies where you'd need uh, what's called an EpiPen to help stop that reaction before the throat can close off and people can actually stop breathing with that. So that's a lot more serious than just, Oh, I'm lactose intolerant and I get diarrhea if I eat too much ice cream. <laughs> right. So th- there's blessures. definitely a, a wide range of allergies and allergy reactions. So again, you know, talk with your doctor about that and, Um, Definitely let them know if you have something where you're worried about it being that anaphylaxis type allergy to food. Um, Again, the most common ones are the the tree nuts, uh, the peanuts and um, shellfish that can cause that anaphylactic type allergy. Bee stings as well. Yeah,
0: my um, youngest grandson lives in Boston area and he had a strong peanut allergy, but the hospital there was doing some research it made a huge difference for him. He, uh, I don't know exactly what they did, but they, he was under a, a study, and they introduced him to peanuts gradually and gradually and gradually. And he, after two years now, he has no allergy to peanuts. So Excellent. some research is being so done. Definitely,
1: on it. yep. Still. Uh, not in the mainstream uh, medicine yet. yet, so still in the research. So don't uh, don't try, try it. it Please don't try <laughs> yeah, it unless you're on supervision of a, yeah. a doctor. Yeah. But yeah, that's he, was,
0: he was fortunate and worked Because well that him. is
1: a very uh, oh, easy thing so to run into. Debilitating.
0: You is. know, you're so fearful of being near it. You mm-hmm. know, and it just and I know his father always felt guilty because he loves peanut butter. He couldn't mm. imagine living without peanut butter, and he would kiss his son when he was you know a, mm-hmm. a baby. And the kid was breaking out uh, in his face just because his dad probably had some peanuts mm-hmm. left on his lips or something. Yep. And it just it took them a while to figure it out. And they're so fortunate that this program in Massachusetts helped them. And yep. let's hope that program becomes mainstream yes. so that it can help many others. Well, we're due to take a break. That's kind of a step away from suicide prevention. But uh, we do appreciate that call. We're going to take our final break and be back right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We just have a few minutes remaining. We appreciate you listening today. As I mentioned at the outset of the program, Dr. Holmes unable to be with us today, but in his stead, we have Dr. Jill Cruz, who's a family medicine physician with the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Jill, you've been with us before. You've been on this program a number of times. Have you also been on Dr. Holmes? I don't. Ca- I know you have on his TV show. Yes, sir. I don't catch it every week, but I often uh, can pick it up on the internet and, and catch the show that way so um what about tomorrow night are you helping out tomorrow Uh, night
1: no dr Uh, ellsworth i believe is going to be hosting for dr home tomorrow night
0: and they're going to be covering ask anything ask anything those are are the
1: most fun shows (laughs) (laughs) well they keep us all on our toes we love them
0: well good well that's tomorrow for those of you may not be aware dr home has a program called on call with the prairie doc on thursday nights on south dakota public television one of the reasons Dr. Holm isn't here today or tomorrow night is because he and his whole crew are out taping programs in the Black Hills. And they are, I think they're going to tape three or four programs to be used over the Christmas time or other times when they're needed, so uh, it's it's nice that uh, there's a, a group of physicians here in Brookings who help Dr. Home out with both his radio and TV. And believe me, it is really appreciated by those of us working with Dr. Holm in either in either media because. Uh, it's kind of hard to do a show without a doctor. I don't know if you noticed, Bob. I don't have a lot of medical background, so <laughs> I just ask the questions. Can't be there. but but So tomorrow night is Ask Anything, and if you want to ask them about suicide or Suicide Prevention Week, you can certainly give a call, and it will be uh, Dr. Ellsworth who will be the host tomorrow night. We should go back. We just have a few minutes remaining to talk about suicide prevention and, and what you think we can do, Mm -hmm. to help prevent suicides.
1: So the um, National Institute of Mental Health does have some really great uh, uh, websites, and then the the, uh, National Suicide Prevention Hotline also has a, a great website. And the five steps that they recommend is, first one, ask. Ask people. If if you have concerns about them, are they worried about you know their mental health or depression? Are you worried about suicide? Uh, it's not going to plant the idea in their head, but it definitely could open up a conversation that could save their life and make them not feel alone. So ne- the first thing is is ask ask, ask the question. Yep, okay. ask the question. The next one is is keep them safe. If they you have a concern and they have a means to carry out uh, suicide keep them safe and take that means away. Um, the next step is be there because suicide is generally a step of isolation of people being alone and feeling like they're all alone or feeling like a burden or feeling like they, they can't uh, um, deal with this. So having someone to help them deal with it. And then next step is help them connect because you know it, it shouldn't be on you As a a friend or a family member to cure someone's depression or suicide thoughts, get help. Get connected to a a mental health professional. Get connected to their doctor. Find someone who you can reach out to. You know, reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Get them connected to the help that they need. Don't take it on yourself to be their savior. Um, You're you're not trained to do that. That is a very hard thing to do and it, it takes a lot of training uh, to know what to say and to know how to help people so get them connected to the help and then follow up again that that isolation is the big thing and you know keeping with them will definitely help you know check in and say how are you doing D- did you get to your doctor did you get to the counselor because a lot of times they're like, oh yeah yeah i'll do it i'll do it did you no no so did you t- take your medication no so you know, having someone to be a, a kind of accountable to, or someone to to help them alongside, because this is a journey. This is not something that you're going to fix in a, a day or one conversation, um, or even if you know someone's admitted to a hospital. It's a three-day stay, and behavioral health is not going to fix this problem, all be all end all. It's going to be a journey. So um, staying connected with them and know that they have support and love and. Um, are surrounded by people who care. So those are the the five main things. So ask, keep them safe, be there for them, help them connect to the professional help they need and then follow up.
0: Thank you so much. All great ideas and, and great information today. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we have I think, just about a run out of time, but we hope all of you have enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc, brought to you by the Avira Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. As always, you can hear and see more from Dr. Holm online at prairiedoc.org. Thank you so much, Dr. Cruz, for being with me today. You're
1: welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: And thanks to all of you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. Why don't I close with Dr. Holmes' weekly reminder. Stay healthy out there, people.